welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your guest today, Nick Bilton. Some of you may remember my voice from the, the good old days. The ghost of Christmas present. Present. And lucky we Hi, are for that. how are you? What's well, that? It's a bittersweet day. It for, is. For us on the Hive. Sweet and sweetest because... You are here with us, and I'm so, so happy that you're here. I'm always happy to hear your voice and get to get to, to talk to you. I'm particularly happy to hear it today. Um, it's a sad day for us at The Hive and in journalism and in the world. Um, I'm going to try not to cry, but I might. Um, uh, we lost our beloved editor, John Homans, at The Hive uh, on Wednesday evening, and um we are heartbroken. I think it's, that's fair to say. And um, Nick, you can speak to this as well, but John Holmans was a true original. He was a force to be reckoned with. He was an editor unlike any editor I've ever had and unlike any editor I ever will have. He was a wordsmith, a magician, a cheerleader, a champion, um, he was not someone who was, uh, free with his, his, uh, attaboys and, uh, mushy and, and, uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> but, but he was someone who, um, was absolutely, I never had a doubt that he had my back. Every word that I wrote, he made better. Everything that he touched felt like, he spun gold out of nothing, and he had such a taste for news, a phenomenal um, set of of morals and principles, and he was not scared of anyone or anything, and it gave me so much courage to do what I want to do and to stand up to people who were um, trying to stifle me at various points or, or putting up roadblocks in the way of actually getting the story and knowing that he had my back made me more fearless and he made me a better writer and a better reporter and a greater thinker. And he was funny and kind and, and really, I've never really met anyone like him before. And this is sudden and sad and a huge hole that I don't think we'll ever really fill. Yeah, it's um, and it was so sudden, and um, you know, he was sixty-two. Is that right? He, and you know, getting ready to retire in a couple of years and get a boat and a dog, and or maybe he already had the dog, but he was going to get the boat. And you know, it's just, it's just so shocking. I mean, you and I were talking before about about you know grounding this into kind of reality because we, you know, we passed one hundred and fifty thousand deaths in the U.S. from coronavirus now. And that, you know, that that curve went in the complete opposite direction uh, because of the leadership in this country or the lack of leadership. And and it's so what's so heartbreaking is that, you know, at times like this, you kind of you want to be around your colleagues and 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 the person who passed away, their loved ones and, you know, and kind of be able to attend a funeral and and. And you can't do that, and um, and it makes it it makes it all the more difficult. And I think what what brings it back to, you know, what 
I admired so much about John Homans was that he was, you know, if if this was someone else, he'd have been like, let's do a story about that, you know, and um, uh, you know, he had these amazing kind of aphorisms that that uh, that always seemed to kind of fit perfectly in the moment. So it's uh, it's incredibly sad, and we'll miss him tremendously. And um, but I've learned more from him as an editor than I can say uh, about you know from almost anyone else I've worked with. So I I couldn't agree more, and I I couldn't sleep last night, um, and didn't help that there was an earthquake well, you, in the middle of the night. You couldn't sleep partially because of that, and partially because there was an earthquake. Well, in my brain, I'm like I was sitting there. I don't. I'm sure you've had this before, but I. I literally slept for one hour and when you're in the middle of the night and you're just like your brain hurts because you're so tired but you can't sleep and I'm like is what I can't sleep I'm tossing and turning the my puppies in my bed and my fiance is snoring and I'm like oh god I can't turn off my brain and all of a sudden the room starts shaking and I'm I don't I'm very new to Los Angeles I've never been in an earthquake before and I was like is my brain exploding or is there an earthquake here and I woke up my fiance and he's like yeah, yeah that's an earthquake you crazy person go go to sleep um but as I was up in the middle of the night going through this earthquake I was getting angry and I told you this before we started recording but um I'm sad and I'm angry because we are one of probably tens of millions of uh, two of tens of millions of people in this country who are experiencing a life moment that in a normal sense, you and I would be on a plane to New York today and we would get to sit in a room with our colleagues and share memories and attend a funeral and hug each other. And because of the dearth of leadership at the top, we can't have moments like that that are very fundamental and very important. And I know that there are, so many people in this country who are facing tremendous hardships. They are out of work. They are worried about Congress not extending unemployment benefits. Um, there's concerns about the election coming, and there are, there are major things that are impacting people. But there are also moments in life that I think are really important to mark, and um, someone dying is one of those moments. Um, I got engaged, and I can't celebrate with my family, and I. I have friends who are having babies who are not going to be able to be with their parents when they're having babies. And it's, it's, it's so maddening to me because all of this was preventable if we actually had leadership in this country. And as we start talking about for the rest of this conversation, we won't talk about us and our own sadness, but we will talk about what's happening in, in Washington. And for me, for the first time, you know, we, we talk about and we write about and, um, we tweet about uh, all the things that are happening in this country and how terrible they are and, and how much the pandemic has changed things. But it felt like the first moment where I was like, oh, this is fundamentally going to shape major moments in every person's life at this point. And we're having no guidance from the top about how to make this better for us. And if that's not a motivation to get to the to the polls in November, I don't know what it is. Not only is there no motivation, but you have Donald Trump who's tweeting about Fox News from Air Force One and then tweeting today that he believes that the – not believes, but you know he's making up bullshit statements – but that the election is going to be the most fraudulent in U.S. history and that maybe we should delay it. Thank God we can't delay it. He can't delay it at least. But, um, but yeah, it's just um, – it's just uh, – it's just unfathomable uh, – 
how how much of a lack of leadership this country has today. I was talking to my sister who lives in Europe this morning and, you know, her kids were on the playground. Um, and, uh, I mean, that doesn't seem like a huge deal, but that you can't do that here. It's like, um, because of the way that, that, that they haven't done the right things around kind of battling this. And then also, I mean, to, I'm, I'm probably going to get a little annoyed here, but, um, Trump's new doctor, who's like a a, a conspiracy theorist nut job. He has amazing like doctors. About- Let's just talk about this for a second. He has, I mean, the highest quality medical professionals. the The doctor in New York with the long hair and the letter about his perfect health was. He's just perfect. He's just perfect. And then it, he had the it, White House doctor. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my god! No, the it, the. The the new one who 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 claimed that that we have alien DNA and that uh, that if Facebook doesn't allow her videos back online, that Jesus is going to be resurrected to destroy Facebook. I mean, I think that they should just not do it just to see what happens because I'd like to see Jesus resurrected. Um, It'd be kind of fun. I mean, it is it is 2020, so if there's ever a time for that to happen, it would be it would be now. But um, it's just insane and and. yeah, I it all of it is insane. Um, but I actually think, and this is a perfect segue, is it is not just the moron in chief who uh, is at fault here. It's um, it's Congress, and um, and we saw that this week with the the hearing, I guess you could call it, the spectacle um, that was on display uh, for big tech, which was supposed to be. Asking the question of um, you know antitrust questions, but instead turned into you know a typical Republicans like you're not fair to us um, to the tech tech. Can companies. I ask you a question? So I actually I hadn't been I haven't been hadn't tuned into it yesterday because I feel like for me personally, I mean I was a little bit distracted yesterday with what was going on, but also I feel like there's more there was more important news that I'd rather focus my attention on. And then I was up in the middle of the night, and so I caught up on all the stuff that I had missed. It seems to me, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'd rather you tell me I'm right though, uh, that, that Congress <laughs> has no idea what goes on on social media. Like I'm pretty sure they've never used no, social media before because only, the questions they ask are yeah. beyond, it's like they've never turned on a phone or a computer before. I think you just gave them too much credit. It's not that they don't they don't know what happens on social media. I don't think that they understand what technology is. Like sure. I'm sure that some of those senators are up there like get their tweets and their emails still printed out. Um I've even read that that's the case. The, and and their facts are so wrong. It's not even funny. I follow Kevin Roos from the New York Times has this new Facebook's top 10 uh, Twitter account. And he, he's been doing this for, for quite a while where he tweets the top 10 linked posts and page views um, on Facebook every day um, or every few days, whatever. And it is, it's insane. Like here's, here's um, uh, today's, uh, the top 10, Donald J. Trump, Dan uh, Bongino, Don Bongino, the, the conservative lunatic, um, uh, you know, it it it's it's keeps going. Occupied democracy. Ben Ben Shapiro. Like these are all Fox News. These are all the like Blue Lives Matter. These are the top linked sources every single day. It's like once in a while there's a there's a a, a liberal point of view that kind of gets in there. But like literally, it's most of the time ten out of ten 
have um, uh, things that are shared on Facebook are a conservative. And so you've got these 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 Republicans up there saying you're unfair to us and you stifle our voices. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, your voices are so unstifled. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like it, it's just total lunacy. And then you've got these other people that don't even know. Like, the, one of my favorite questions from from the hearings was when one of the senators attacked Mark Zuckerberg because Don Jr.'s tweet was um, uh, was Don I guess, Jr. was kicked off as, Twitter. Uh, he was, he and was, was temporarily and Mark Zuckerberg was Twitter. like, um, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg was like, uh, I don't run Twitter, so you're kind of asking the wrong guy here. It's like they, you know, they're so busy. I mean, I literally was was waiting for someone to like ask. Jeff Bezos, like, why his Amazon Prime order hadn't showed up yet or something like that. It, I mean, that would have been at least a, a useful question that they asked. Yeah. <laughs> this is Inside the Hive. Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. As a reporter, anytime you interview a CEO, it actually turns out to be the worst interview that you could ever do because they're so messaged and clo- and close to the vest and careful, and they've been coached into oblivion. And so actually, these types of things tend to be quite boring because you have people who are professionally good at dodging questions. And so my view was, okay, well, here's going to be a couple of hours of CEO speak, and that's why I didn't really tune in. But it wasn't the CEOs that were disappointing or bad. It was the representatives who were horrible. This was a chance to ask questions of people under oath that these these people are fundamentally changing the way that we interact as a society, uh, the way that elections will be held, whether or not they will be fair, whether or not information is disseminated in a um a balanced way and they totally blew it so that they could grandstand or they can make partisan claims. I would have rather watched all of them ask questions of each other, to be honest. Can you imagine Mm -hmm, Mark Zuckerberg mm -hmm. getting to ask questions of Jeff Bezos or, you know, the, 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 interplay amongst them would have been 50,000 times more interesting than these Republicans and Democrats who were either trying to make a political stand or, having absolutely no idea what it means to use technology. It was just such a waste of everyone's time. I completely agree. And I think, look, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's a, it's a start. Um, you know, uh, Casey Newton, who writes for, uh, the verge has a great, um, newsletter called the interface. And he had a, a good piece kind of saying, you know, this is the beginning of something. And we're, at, we're kind of, you know, while it was in many respects, there was some ridiculous moments and obviously more ridiculous moments from the Republicans and the Democrats. But um, it it's the start of these of these kind of hearings. And we haven't seen these before, especially with these folks up on, on stage. And mm. and I think that um, the problem is, is that, you know, technology moves so quickly these days. It, it, it just it, 
it's such a it's it's an exponential curve in which in which the the speed of which it's changing and the number of people who are are getting onto these platforms and how quickly one becomes and you know Zuckerberg had a great point yesterday where he said you know uh, I forget the timeline ago but it was like a few you know ten years ago whatever it was um, the top ten richest companies um, had been the top test ten, top top ten richest companies for biggest companies for for decades wow. and now there's only they're only they only make three of they only make three of the top ten biggest companies today and it's that has all changed in in such a short period of time and I think that what is what the problem is and has always been the problem when it comes to government is that government moves slower than the the speed of technological change and you know, they're addressing issues that I think should have been addressed five, six, seven years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And w- when they finally do get around to to enacting something, some sort of antitrust laws or whatever, and I do think that some of these tech companies actually want them. Um, uh, they want the guidelines so that they don't, they don't you know, pass over them. Uh, but once they do that, it's there's going to be something else like AI or you know space travel or whatever the hell it is it's the, that that will impact and you know all these different people one one thing that's so fascinating is um there's this new technology that came out uh just a couple of weeks ago um it's a new it's called GPT3 or GTP3 I forget exactly but it's it's a new AI interface um for language and so it it actually uses machine learning and it creates an interface that anyone can tap into um, where you can ask it questions and it can it can formulate in complete sentences and respond and you can you can use it almost like an api to kind of to build things um, for your site and so on and people were playing around with it and one of the sites i was exploring was where you could ask anyone a question so you could ask albert einstein like explain to me like how you came up with the theory of relativity and it searches the web and it takes all the language and it parses it and creates this kind of natural language processing version of a conversation you can literally have a conversation with einstein you can have one with donald trump and the answers like were so spot on in in many respects and then every once in a while you would get some weird answers like from trump i was like are you a racist and he would respond um what was the, the answer ai version of him well it changes based on like how you ask different questions wow. each time so if you ask a series of questions but there was like some answer about like uh, what is racism or something like that so it turns so i was like oh that's a little weird so it turns out i forget the exact answer but it turns out that um i was speaking to a friend who works in silicon valley and they they showed me a picture of all the people that have worked on this ai and it's literally i i'm almost positive it's 100 percent white people mm. so you have so you have this technology that you will start to see implemented into society in the next, I don't know how many years. It's from the OpenAI Institute. But um, it could be months. It could be days. It could be whatever. And it could affect God knows what. We have no idea how it's going to be used. And and yet it it is being created by people who have never had to deal with the things that people who are African-American have or, or, or so on. And, and I think that it's a, you know, Congress should be addressing that right now, but Congress doesn't know what that is. You know, it's like, and I think that that's where the the main problem with all these companies and and Congress comes into play is that the technology is being created quicker, and and as AI gets more advanced and chips get more advanced, and we move into quantum computing and all these other things that will happen in our lifetime, it's just it's gonna it's gonna outpace everything, and I and that's my my biggest worry, honestly. Well, you know, that's so fascinating because. Um, First of all, obviously, especially at the top of all of these technology companies, there's 
there's really so little diversity and there's relatively speaking so little diversity in congress i i, I somehow doubt in both of those areas that 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 kind of absence of a different voice is even registering and and when you think about i never really thought about um ai in this sense before uh, and every time I feel like you talk to me about AI, I'm like, what? I didn't even know that's possible. I feel like you just are in this space in a, in a totally different and fuller way than I am. Um, but if you think about how these tech companies are going about this, if they're primarily led by white men, then their first priority to me, I'm, I'm guessing, is let's get this done fast and let's get this done quick and let's get this done right. And they're not thinking about, well, whose voices are we telling and how are we telling these voices? And that is such an important conversation and and such a vital one to not really have women as part of that, to not have uh, people of color as part of that is such a gap and it's such a miss. And it's really what's been a problem with how history has been told over the last you know, generations and generations and generations, and it's repeating itself in this next iteration of how we're going to be telling stories and disseminating information. And I think you're totally right that it's not even registering that you should be having different voices tell um, the stories and, and, and send out different kinds of information. And I think at the end of the day, you know, like, do I think that these people who are running these companies are are evil eh, maybe a little bit they, they you know maybe but but i think that what is you know maybe they're not maybe they believe that they're making the world a better place you know who knows um, i'm sure they I think believe some of that them are, yes i think some of them are a little bit more you know um i don't want to use the word sociopathic but maybe a little bit uh they're, but they're a little bit more um concerned with their own their own self-importance rather than that of of humanity. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, Facebook and Google um, and um, uh, and Amazon and Apple employ, you know, a couple million people um, sure. and give them jobs. And, and so we should, you know, they do a tremendous amount of good for the world. Like, you know, if it wasn't for for smartphones and the invention of the iPhone and 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 cameras and so on, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have Black Lives Matter. No one would have seen George Floyd, you know, be murdered by four police officers. Sure. And so, um, so there's there's a tremendous amount of good that comes of it. But I think the problem is is that you know, it's that we are left. They are the ones deciding what society looks like and we have very little power and say in in how they change it we can't change mark zuckerberg's decision to not kick you know donald trump off his platform when he lies or or hide his facebook posts or whatever you know or to 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 decide to go after you know white supremacists or we can't change you know jeff bezos's viewpoint on saying well we want to always be the biggest company in the world so we're going to fuck every mom and pop store we can possibly imagine like we just can't we have no control over that and i think well, that we, um, we have no no ability to change their decision making process but we do have the ability to choose whether or not we are on a platform and i think that part of the problem and part of the reason why it would have been so valuable to actually ask tough questions of them on capitol hill was that Sure, you and I can say, you know what, we're not going on Facebook anymore. We're not. We're going to delete Instagram too, and we're not going to shop for Amazon anymore. We're only going to shop for mom and pop stores, and that's what our focus is. And we're going to boycott these sites. But the reality is, is that they are so big, and they occupy such a tremendous amount of the market share and the number of people who use these platforms that there really is no way to avoid them. And that's the thing that people 
that representatives of Capitol Hill should be focusing on that they they are too big to get around and you if you are that big to get around how are you not regulating them that that I think is what was a real missed opportunity yesterday this is inside the hive so last night I I was I didn't get a lot of sleep either um partially because of the passing of John Holmans, partially because I'm reading a book about the multiverse and, um, uh, and you know, went to bed realizing that uh, there are, you know, potentially two trillion galaxies in the observable universe, and each galaxy has, you know, potentially hundreds of billions of stars, if not hundreds of millions, whatever. Uh, and we're just these Sounds kind like of some light infinitesimal... Reading, Nick. I'm obsessed with quantum mechanics, and and I just I can't stop reading about it, and if I just I'm find doing it so fascinating. Real Housewives. You're making me feel bad. Well, about it's stuff. it's like Real Housewives, but Real Housewives, the of, Housewives the, of the multiverse, are galaxies. Get on it, Bravo. Yes. Get on it. So, but no, but you, but so I go to bed thinking about this and like our our place in this in this vast, open, endless thing that you know, and and why and and. Um, uh, and then thinking about you know Homan's passing away, and then and then there's this earthquake at 4:30 a.m. And then my dogs decided they wanted to, they thought that was wake up time, totally. so that was it. And then I finally fell back asleep, and there was another earthquake at like 6 a.m. Anyway, my point is when I finally woke up because of the kids at 6:30 a.m. Um, I, I guess you could call it woke up. I don't know. You got up, but we may, we may still I. Be. I I looked at my phone, and the first thing was a news alert from uh, where it had said <laughs> Donald Trump tweeted that he he thinks we should postpone the election. Uh, um, by the way, he can't. But I, I and then and then yesterday, RGB was in the hospital, and again, and like I literally like I I almost had a panic attack mm. from the moment I woke up, and. Barring the fact that I'm, I'm going to take a little break from my book tonight. I'm going to watch The Real Housewives of New York or whatever they call it. Never mm. watched it before. Bless. But but putting aside why we're here and all those existential questions and what happens when we die and, and how big the universe is and so on, uh, were you, were you, are you a little nervous about how this is going to go down with the election? I mean, it's like in this little universe that we live in right now on this planet, in, in this country – like shit could go pretty haywire pretty quick. I mean, we we all you know keep saying twenty twenty is the worst year ever. Twenty twenty, it's like awful, and um, I think it could get much fucking worse. Honestly, well, I would say there's no bottom to twenty twenty, so I don't disagree with you there. But <laughs> I'm not I'm not super worried about us not having an election and Trump. Like Trump can rant and rave about a lot of things, and he is the president. He is a lot of incredibly important powers the ability to change the date of the election is not one of them and so that that of all the things is not my concern though i am prepared to eat my words if something changes um i'll take full responsibility for for my lack of foresight there if that happens and i pray to god it does not what i am worried about more than um not having an election is that there is going to be cheating in this election and mm-hmm. if they did it in 2016 and it worked out so well for them, why wouldn't they do it again in, in 2020, right? Like they have someone who, the, the Russians, and that's what I mean by they, um, they have someone in office who has been a dear friend to them 
And someone who will not criticize them publicly, someone who will not come out and talk about the bounties put on the heads of American soldiers, someone who will write love letters to dictators. And so, yeah, they're going to cheat. And every intelligence official who has a brain in their head and a conscience in their hearts has said as much. And so I don't, I'm not super worried about Trump making a decision. I'm, I'm way more worried about uh, other people deciding to interfere in this election, how that's going to play out. And that's like, that's on like the, the Russian side of but, it. I'm okay. also so concerned about domestic voter suppression that we will have a huge effort by Republicans, by any number of groups, making sure that it is difficult for people who traditionally vote for Democrats to get to the polls, to cast a ballot. And it's just, it's so disheartening. I listened to, to John Lewis's funeral this morning and President Obama gave a eulogy that really will make you nostalgic for a time past. And a large part of his eulogy was talking about how important it is to vote and to not suppress the vote and, and to make election day a national holiday to make sure that as many Americans can vote as possible. And it just, every week I feel like I say this on this podcast, but I will continue to say it. This is the number one issue that we should be focusing on is how to really have a free and fair election. And a free and fair election means that there is the ability for every American to get to the polls unimpeded in November. And I'm just so worried about that happening. I have a question I I don't truly know the answer to, and I'm curious what you think. Why is it, so I I vote by mail um, in every election, and there's been a couple where I like haven't I haven't um, sent the envelope out in time, so I just go down mm. to the to the place and I give them the ballot, and that's it. And literally, don't even have to wait in line; you just hand it to somebody. And 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 there's there's I remember when during the Hillary Trump. Um, election 2016, I actually didn't vote by mail because I wanted to, I thought it was going to be this historic moment, the first time I was voting mm. for the first female president in, in history. And why do people, not, why do more people not vote by mail? I don't get it. It's because such a most states don't have vote by mail. California is an anomaly. I, I um, it's the, Is it the only? Like, no, there's, I don't think how it's many the states? only state. I actually don't know the, the numbers, but California is not many? the only state, but the, it is it is by far the minority. So um, I actually, I have voted in two states, in Pennsylvania and New York. I don't believe, I don't think in either case I was able to vote by mail. Um, I know in Pennsylvania you're not able to vote by mail unless you're doing absentee balloting. Um, I actually don't vote since I started it was covering. Only so, okay, I just looked it up. So before, yeah. the, before the pandemic, it was only five states, Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, Washington. Right conducted their uh, elections using a vote-by-mail system, uh, though all states allow voters to vote by mail in certain circumstances before the pandemic, 16 required voters to par- provide reasons. So it is going to change, hopefully, um, because but, of the but pandemic. But all we, of that will have had to have happened a long time ago. We saw yeah. this in the primary process over the spring where, um, you know, Republican legislatures in states we're not allowing governors to say, hey, you can vote by mail in this special election because we're in extraordinary times that there was a huge effort to block those sort of changes. And we're getting close to the election. Even if every state unanimously decided today, which will not happen, that they were going to allow vote by mail, it's a huge infrastructure 
to get that yeah. done. I mean, to make sure that you're able to send out enough ballots that people are able to send them back, that you have the infrastructure to count them, that... I mean, we are in a historic time for the post office right now. The post office may run out of funding. I know, that's, that's its own story. It's its own story. And by the way, it's it's not really its own story. It's a, it's a story that is very much, I think, connected. And I don't think it's an accident that there, a Republican administration and a Republican-run Congress is 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 not behind giving more people access to voting and particularly working people access to vote and it's so scary it's so important and i urge everyone to do something about it to to call your representatives to donate money to figure out a way to have everyone's voices heard in this election it is the most important election of a lifetime and however you're going to vote that is that is your decision and that's a sacred decision and that's a decision that many people have fought for throughout the course of our uh, our country but everyone should have their the right to at least raise their voice and cast a ballot and and that is central to who we are as a country and as people and that should just be a, a, a real major focus as we head toward November this is inside the hive So I have a couple couple of questions for you before we before we go. Yeah. The first question is um, it's on it's on this topic. I'll tell you the second question so you can think about it. The second question mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you is who you think the VP nominee is going to be for oh, Biden, ugh. but and what you think about that whole process. Yeah. But before we get there, how do you think this plays out? Let's just say like there's there is here's there I do have this theory that um, you know look I could you could literally take an orange or a banana and put it on the ballot next to Donald Trump and I'm voting for the banana. Like it's just with glee, I will happily do it. Mm. Um, You could pretty much put, I think anyone on the ballot other than Mitch McConnell and, and maybe Mike Pence and maybe um, Getz and maybe Jim Jordan. Mm. There's a lot of people you could put on the ballot. I wouldn't vote for but I'm pretty much, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, vo- I'm voting against Donald Trump. I think he's a diabolical mm. person. That being said, let like my theory is that there's a world in which you know Biden stays in the polls above where he is, and again the polls. You, love the you know, polls. I think we hate the polls. Mm-hmm. But let's just pretend. Let's pretend for hi- in our in our hypothetical universe in this yeah. multiverse universe that we're mm-hmm. in today. Mm-hmm. He stays above in the polls 10, 12 points, um, and uh, and we get to the the debates, which are, I believe, late August, early October. Is that Who right? Yeah. Um, and around then. And um, and he, you know, makes a fool of himself on stage and slurs and whatever and, and, and so on. And, and Trump then will win. Okay, so that's scenario one. Scenario two is that he doesn't and Trump loses. Do you think Trump just goes? Do you think he's just like, yes. peace, I'm out? Like, I you talked do. about this with Joe last week, and the more I think about it, the more I think I'm right. So that always that always feels good. And and again, if I'm wrong, you heard it here first. Um, I think <laughs> that Trump doesn't want to be president. I think he sees the dollar signs for Trump TV. I think he, he can smell that money. And I think if he loses, it's just going to mean major, major money for him. Coming in, 
coming everywhere. And I think that that is way more appealing to him than having to serve four more years in office. I really do. And so I think if he loses, it's almost like it's energizing for the business that he's going to start. Yeah, but if 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 he doesn't want to win, then why is he tweeting stuff like that? I think he wants to win. Got it. I don't think he wants to serve. And so, but but I think that the alternative, like losing and staying, is not appealing to him because he like the part of the equation of of winning and staying that he's attracted to is the winning. If he loses, he doesn't want to stay. He wants to go out and use the vitriol that his base will feel to f- to fund his life for the remainder of his years on this universe. So I think that I I, I mean. Smart people who know him very well think that that he may put up a fight. I don't see it. I really see him using, if there is a loss, using it to catapult his third act in in the, the Trump, Trump TV, TV live, twenty four hours a day on every channel imaginable. Coming to you from Satan's. Ugh, I hope tower. there's a multi universe. Um, I hope there's a multi. All right, let's. Uh, I hope there's. Wait. Okay. So, and, VP, and, who's your thought? Yep. Susan Rice. Oh, interesting. You're uh, you're not alone. Uh, People are are a buzz about the Susan Rice possibility. You know, Can I think I, it's interesting yeah. that there's there's a you know Kamala. I think is a, I think she's a you know she's a politician. Um, I think she'd be great. I think she um, uh, she would pick some issues she would go after them i think the reality is that that um let's just say biden wins whoever is the vp is going to be the nominee in four years um i just think i don't think he's going to want to do more than one term i don't think he's going to be capable i don't actually know if he'll be capable of doing a full term Mm -hmm. um but um but you know i think um uh i think that the prop my big worry with kamala is that um you know she there are already people in the like biden campaign that are apparently i was reading some stories yesterday that are out there putting in um you know leaking negative stories about her because they don't like her um here's what i'll say it's not um, because they don't like her the the things that were released yesterday that were reported on yesterday were allies of vice president biden saying they worried that the second if she if he picks her the second that he takes office she's going to be gunning for her own 2020 run they don't not like her they don't like women in power it was the most sexist trope that i've heard in 2020 an ambitious woman to to many people is the most dangerous thing and kamala harris is an ambitious woman and by the way the the notion that someone dare think about their own political prospects when they're in the second most powerful position in the United States. How dare she have vision for her own future when she's in this this high powered uh, important not, role? It is so sick to me. I'm so mad about it. I'm glad that, that we, not, we got no, here because it boiled my blood I'm yesterday. I'm not disagreeing with you on any of that. I'm just saying that that there are people out there who are it's like it's like you know Carrie when Carrie was picking mm-hmm. his VP nominee you know he was like he kind of held his nose and went with Edwards right sure. and um you know Bush picked Quail like it's like there 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 was like I was looking at um what was it was um I think Politico had um had this uh 
site where they've put all the like ratings of how people feel about the VPs and if they like them or dislike them and this, that, and the other. And I think that um, uh, what's, what was so interesting was, you know, with some people, there's there's this huge gap where they just don't, you know, they have no idea who these people are, right? You know, like, um, and their favorability, like Stacey Abrams, she had a 37% um, never heard of her gap and right. a 22% favorable view and a 20, 20% unfavorable. So it's like pretty, you know, it was all kind of canceled itself out, you know. Tammy Baldwin, same thing. It was 11%, 13%, and 60% had never heard of her. And like, mm. and you get to Kamala, and a lot of people had heard of her, but for some reason, um, and I don't know what that reason is, um, she had a, a very high um, 34% unfavorable view, uh, 20% hadn't heard of her. And whereas, you know, Susan Rice or, you know, some others who had, who did have the... People did know who she was. It was a lot. Um, it was a lot less. It was it was twenty two percent or something like that. And I think so. That was my only worry. Like I look. I think that honestly, he's made a commitment to pick a woman, which is incredible. Um, I think he's based on the the recent events that have happened. It's almost certain he's going to pick a woman of color, which is incredible. And I, I all I'm saying is that I want him to pick the person who's going to help him win. Um, I mean, look, I said this about the election in the beginning, like I was hoping that we would pick the person who was going to definitively beat him. We don't know if we've done that yet. Um, but at the end of the day, that's to me what it comes down to. I think that is is sound. I think the reality is, is that uh, Vice President Biden's commitment to put a woman on the ticket is historic. It's important. And it's going to be problematic because a large swath of this country is still incredibly sexist and more sexist than anyone would care to admit. And I think that that will be a draw for many women. It will be a, a detractor for those people who do hold on to sexist views that are relics from the past. Hopefully they stay in the past. And this will be the last time we have this conversation in a presidential election going forward from my mouth to God's ears. I have one last question for you before I let you go today. Just to, you, just, just yes, to end that, just please. to end that thought. I think at the end of the day, you're right and completely, and um, and it's uh, it's insane that that is the reality. But I think that the end of the day, what we have to hope for is that enough people are willing to vote for a banana versus Donald Trump, and and that's all it's going to come down to. And a banana and the first female vice president. Yes. That's exciting. That's yes. that. It's yes, not totally. president. It's I'm historic. Excited. It's progress. Yes, and. I'm just uh, saying what I'm saying when I say that in a joking way. I, I mean that they saying. can put aside any th any stupid thing that they have about any you know just th these moronic viewpoints they still have from like the 1800s and um, and just realize that what's most important because this is what the this is what the Republicans do. They like that you know some of them don't like guns and some of them don't like abortion and some of them don't like this that and the other. But they're like I I'm gonna get behind this guy because. He's got, he does like the thing that I like. And I'm, you know, I think that's. Sure. Anyway. sure. Well, ask here's the reality. Here's, this is the one question everyone has to ask. There are two questions, right? Here are the two questions that I would say to anyone going to the polls. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We are, as Americans, banned from entering Europe, our greatest allies, because of, of the place that we are in this world. We have tens of thousands of people who have died from the coronavirus just six months into this. Millions have been infected. We have no rapid testing. We have no real progress that I, 
I see being being plausible to have a vaccine on the near horizon. We are in the middle of an economic downturn that may lead to a depression. We are the laughingstock of the world when it comes to our foreign policy decisions. We are probably not going to have free and fair elections. So my question, my first question is, do you like the direction we're headed? And my second question is, are you better off than you were four years ago? And those are the only two questions. And if if the answer is, I don't like the direction that I'm headed and I'm not better off, then it shouldn't really matter who's on the other end of the ticket, right? Because you, you don't like where we're going. If you're happy, then you know who to vote for. That's That's my thought leading into the election. I have one last question for you, Nick. Yes, do it. What is bringing you joy this week? What is bringing me joy this week? I feel like we had a really heavy conversation. Um, I just need some light. Give me light. Um, I'll start off, I got and then new- you can follow. Okay. We have a pizza oven, and we just installed a pizza oven, and we can't wait to have you socially distance in the backyard to bring your, your sourdough starter to make some sourdough pizza dough for us. Um, but it's nice to, I know I, last week on the podcast, I talk about our garden and we're just really doubling down on, on everything in our backyard because we're never going anywhere. And it feels really nice <laughs> to be able to, to pick things from our garden, to put, to, to start a fire in a pizza oven in our backyard and just do something that feels like we're creating. That's, that's my um, joy of the week. I'm very excited about your pizza oven too, because I, um, I've been on a, I've been trying to like uh, be a little healthy. So I've, my sourdough starter has been in the fridge for a month and I'm going to, I'm going to bring it out to, and we'll, we'll resurrect it just to make a pizza. Uh, my, one of my first jobs in high school was I was a pizza guy. I made pizzas, I was pizza delivery. And then I learned how to make the pizzas and then I learned how to throw them. What was your specialty? Um, garlic knots, honestly. Uh, but I loved I, I loved uh, and garlic bread. I make a pizza, like a flat pizza, with this like with this olive oily garlic herb thing. That's oh, like it's come super right crispy over. And delicious. So I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited. I got some new chocolate covered almonds. Ooh, <laughs> these are the things. I mean, it's uh, the little things, Nick. It's the little things, but I'm you know I'm excited to hang out. You know, I mean, I think what's been really amazing about quarantine, quite honestly, is like the amount of time we all get to spend mm. together, family wise. And um, and you you've met my children. One is three and one is five. And the five year old just started to ride a two wheel bike. Wow! And, which is very cool. That's and I didn't no actually joke. Even, what's really cool about it is he um, he's uh, he he doesn't need like he doesn't learn things in a traditional way he learns them by watching mm. so like i i've taught like other family members how to ride a bike and like you know you like they fall off and you hold the back and they're like leaning from one side to the other and like it's it's a process it takes like weeks sometimes and with him yes. he just watched he just kept watching kids do it and then when we finally got to the park last weekend to do it i like i stood behind him and i was like all right you're gonna fall whatever and he just took off and that was it like literally wow. like didn't teach him yeah, what an wild. interesting so, observation to make about how how he learns. That's incredible. how he learns. Like I also well, need so you now- to teach me how to ride a bike. I know how to ride a bike. <laughs> I've told you this before. <laughs> the expression that it's like riding a bike. I had not ridden a bike for a really really long time, and then my fiance, then boyfriend, took me on this very like romantic first date in Los Angeles. It was the first time I came to visit him in L.A., and he took me for a bike ride from Venice Beach to Manhattan Beach, which is it's it's not a short bike ride, and not I hadn't gotten on a bike for like probably 16 years maybe more it was a fucking disaster and and 
I was very angry at all the people who had used the expression. It's just like riding a bike because that's not something that you can just but pick you also, right back up again. You also didn't wear sunscreen, so. Oh, I had the worst protected. sunburn of my entire life on my hands. I had to, I, fl- I took a hands. red eye back to New York after this really lovely weekend. I had the worst sunburns on my hand that I took the red eye. I landed and went straight to my dermatologist's offer, uh, office to get steroid cream because my hands were like <laughs> 17 <laughs> times the size and redder than any That's red amazing. I've ever seen in my life. So Nick, your next job is to bring sourdough teach. starter to make these gar- garlic knots and, and also teach me how to rewrite a bike. Uh, yes. And this weekend, I'm, my son now, he's, we've been, what's cool is when they hit five, you can like, actually you, your interests start to align. So we've yes. been watching like, we've been watching like skate videos and surf videos on cool. YouTube and bike, people doing bike tricks. And so now he wants to learn how to ride downstairs. And so that's the, that's the next Ugh. challenge. So it's, it's super fun. Well, that's great. So there you go. That's a great bit of joy. And um, just a reminder to, to hug everybody tight and to tell everyone that you, that you love, that you love them. And onwards and to next or week as, and to as the election. as John Homans would always say, down the road we go. Down the road we go. That's right, Nick. Thank you, as always. Thank you. I love having as you always. on here. Everyone's happy to have you back, and particularly this week. Of course, my pleasure. Great chatting. Thank you to my guests, Nick Bilton and my co-host, Joe Hagen, who will be back next week. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review when you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors. Please be sure to support them any way you support this podcast. We will see you next week.